This is a Coastal Community Church podcast. Welcome to Coastal Sermons, a weekly podcast designed to inspire and instruct people in walking out their faith. These are recordings of our Sunday gatherings where we broadcast the weekly messages from our campus in beautiful seaside Berlin, Maryland. Find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or find our full video library on our YouTube channel at Coastal Community Church in Maryland. Well, last night, my uh, beautiful bride and I had an argument. I don't know, maybe it was a fight. I don't know what you're supposed to call it when you're the pastor talking to your congregation about it, but it was something. And, uh, and uh, it started out like uh, most uh, disagreements, arguments. It started out kind of uh, benign. It was kind of like nothing to it, but uh, I'll tell you the story real quick. So uh, we're uh, coming home, and uh, we, uh, my wife says to me, I need to stop at a Rite Aid or a Walgreens or Walmart. I need to get some makeup for church tomorrow. And I go, great, no problem. And, and honestly, no attitude, no complaints, no. I was like, happy to stop. There was actually a Rita's next door, so I was really happy. But I said, happy to stop. And uh, for, for 30 years of our marriage, we've kind of had this practice where we kind of do this routine. Uh, anytime that we go to a store, I usually pull my wife up to the front. I drop her off at the front, and then I do a holding pattern. I just kind of drive around. I'll drive behind the Walmart. I'll drive, and I'll just, I'll just keep doing this like a taxi service until I see her, and then I'll pull up, and, and she'll jump in, and like it's, a, it's like a NASCAR pit stop. Get in, get in, get in, and we go, right? It happens that way, or the other way that will happen is I'll find a place in the back of the parking lot, and I'll position my my car so I can see. So the second she comes out, I I roll up and uh, and I grab her, and she jumps in. And for thirty years, this girl has not taken more than three steps uh, from our car to a store. And I just pick her up, I pick her up, I drop her off, I I pick her up, and and happy to do it. So last night, uh, she says, I got to go. Uh, if you see a Walmart or something, can you stop? Can you bring me? I got to go get some makeup. And I said, no problem. And I got my son, uh, son-in-law and my daughter in the back. And, um, and so I pull her up to the thing. And, but she says these words to me. Now, mind you, she says these words. She says, listen, uh, I got to stop in the restroom first. And then I'm going to go look for some makeup. So to me, to me, I think this is going to take her a few minutes. This is going to take her a little bit. Because she said, I got to stop. Okay, I hear what you're saying. I'm tracking you. I'm not going to do my, my airport holding pattern. I'm going to park for a second. And then, uh, and so usually I'll see her or she'll text me and says, I'm coming out of the story. And then I'll go, I'll go get her. I'll go get her fast. I'm, I'm there to pick her up. And uh, so, uh, so yesterday I pull in and I, I couldn't find a really close spot. So I found a far away spot. And I was kind of looking. But in, in, all, in all honesty, I'm talking to the kids in the back and I'm on my phone a little bit. And and uh, and time goes by or whatever and and uh, and all of a sudden my phone rings and it says New Jersey number I'm like what in the world so I pick it up and and she goes uh, where are you I'm like where are you and she's like I'm in front of the Walmart I'm like all right I'm coming to get you so I I pull up and I go whose phone were you using she said I found some lady some strange lady and that not a strange lady she was a stranger maybe she's I don't know she said and and she said because I've been standing out here forever and uh and I'm like 
okay. And, and uh, so she gets in the car and we start driving home and I'm listening to music and we're talking and I look over and she's just like, and so she says these words to me. She says, just okay. I'm like, what? And she's like, that, that's all you have to say to me is just okay. And, and for years, for our entire marriage, we've had this philosophy that, that we will not fight in front of our kids. But my daughter's 21 tomorrow, and she's engaged to be married. So this is discipleship. So I'm like, you need to learn that marriage can be miserable at times. You need to learn this right here. Like, so, so we just, I'm like, what, what do you mean? What, what do you mean? And she's like, so you're just going to say, so, and, I, and, and so we just went back and forth about like, like this and, 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 and whatever. And then here's the thing. Guys will appreciate this. Most of your wives are, are kind enough to do. My wife gives me an out. She gives me this out. She gives me the words to say to end the argument. She says this. She says, uh, she goes, I just wish you would say, I'm sorry that you waited so long. And if I would have listened to her, the conversation would have been done and everything would have been clean. Everything would have been cool. Everything would have been, but here's the problem. I can't say those words because in my heart of hearts, I'm thinking you weren't out there that long, right? That's the gist of the, I go, you weren't, there's no way you were out there that long. And she's like, I was out, I was out there long enough that I had to ask a stranger for a phone number, for their phone so I could call you to go, where are you? Now, I should have said the words. I should have said the word. I should have said the phrase. She helped me. She pointed to the right. She said, go this direction, you foolish man. And I said, I, I just can't. And, and I wish, I wish, I wish I could have come up with the best, but, but I didn't. I should be more creative. I should have a better argument. I'm disappointed. But I looked at her and I, I cannot believe that you're upset with me. You should be upset with you for not bringing your phone to the store. See, you guys are wimps because a lot of you guys are going, Tell her, yes, do it. She just looked at me in disbelief, like, how stupid are you? Words. She gave me the words to say. She coached me along. She gave me the prompting. And I went, yeah, I'm not doing that. Words. Uh, this morning, we're beginning a three-week series about the power of words. It's anchored in a passage of scripture in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. We're calling the series Life or Death because the passage of scripture says this, says, the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. Words, you know, words can change everything. Words are powerful. The proverb here said, words hold the power of life and death. Someone said to me years ago, they, 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 they gave me this illustration. They said, every single one of us carries two buckets, two pails. One of them has water in it. The other one has gasoline. And depending on which one you choose to use will change the entire circumstance, situation. My wife said, dude, use the water pail. And I went, I can't because I have this other pail and we just need to go at it tonight. 
Every situation, our words, our words, our words. And here's the thing. I want you to catch this this morning because in a church as well, words are powerful. You know the amount of people who leave a church because they're offended because of words. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about criticism. We're going to talk about the words of gossip. But today, we're going to talk about the words of complaining. And we're going to look at an interesting passage of Scripture. We're going to look at Philippians. If you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 2. We'll start in verse 14 in a moment, but I want to kind of set this up. Uh, Philippians is written by a gentleman by the name of Paul. Paul's one of the great uh, apostles. He's, he, he's one of the great leaders of the faith. Paul wrote uh, two-thirds of the entire New Testament. So he wrote most of our, of our Bible. And, and Paul, when he, uh, Paul was not a Christian all of his life. He, he was a Jew. He, he, he was a religious leader. And then all of a sudden he's transformed in a, in a supernatural kind of radical way. And, and when he's transformed, he dedicates his entire love, uh, his entire life to the spreading of the gospel. And the, the one thing that he wants to do more than anything else in life is he wants to go to Rome because in Rome, he believes that if he can get to Rome and if he could speak to some of the most powerful influencers, see, Rome was like the capital of the world. He's like, if I could get to Rome, if I can speak to the leaders of Rome, I can spread the gospel, the good news of Jesus all over the world. I need to get to Rome. That was, his, that was his life passion. That was number one on the bucket list for him. And, and what's interesting, the process of him getting there is miserable. Uh, he, he tells the story, he says, I, I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten. I've been left for dead. I've been bitten by snakes. I, I, I've had this miserable, miserable journey. And now finally, he's, uh, he's, in, uh, um, he, he's in prison. He's been in prison for two years, waiting for his possible execution. And he writes to the church in Philippi, and this is our book of Philippians. In the New Testament. It's a letter written by Paul to the church in Philippi, and he says these words. It's amazing to me because he said uh, his passion is, I want to be a preacher, and instead of being a preacher, he's a prisoner. Listen, if there was ever anyone who is justified to complain like, God, how are you going to treat me this way? Have you ever done that? Have you ever asked God, God, I've done all of this for you. How are you going to pay me back with, with this? Paul could have done that, but he doesn't. Listen to what he writes to believers in Philippi. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Another translation says it this way. Do everything without complaining. Do everything without grumbling or arguing or complaining so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault and a warped, crooked generation. This is an incredibly high call. It's an incredibly high standard that, that Paul would speak that to the church in Philippi and that it would be spoken to us today. He said, no matter what happens in your life, no matter what situation, no matter what circumstance, in, in word or deed, do nothing without grumbling or complaining. There's a lot of spiritual reasons why this is true, and we'll get to it in a moment, but I want to start with some practical reasons. Uh, two of them. The first is this. A practical reason, number one, of why we should not complain is this. Complaining only leads to more complaining. You know that in your own life? 
There was a doctor, his name was Travis Bransbury, and he wrote a book called The Emotional, Intelli- Emotional Intelligence 101. And he did all this research on complaining, and this is what he discovered, that, that the more that people complain, they, the, the more that they train their brain to complain even more. He, he discovered that, that, that complaining, habitual complaining, trains your brain to complain more. In, in other words, the more negative you are, the more that you'll see negative things. And, and it's true, isn't it? We, we know this in every situation in life. If, if you look for the bad, you'll always find bad, won't you? I mean, the opposite is true. If you look for the good, you'll always find good. But, but here's what we're learning here. Those who constantly think of negative things train their brain to think negatively. This is why later Paul will say what, that we need to have our mind. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. These are the words of Paul. He says, one of the things we need, we need to retrain our brain through the power of God to think differently. Here's the second thing that's very practical. Practical Complainers always attract other complainers. Ain't that the truth? One of my mentors in life, Dave Douglas, said to me this. He, he said, like spirits attract. Like spirits attract. The, the same kind of people have a tendency to connect with the same kind of people. And you've seen this. You've seen this in your job where uh, it doesn't matter what happens. Uh, you know, people will be around the water cooler. They'll have it. But the complainers hang out with the other complainers. And what do they do? They complain about their job. They complain about their boss. They complain about the weather. They complain about, well, they just complain, complain, complain. You see this in your school. A group of students, they get together and they complain about the teacher. They complain about the principal. They complain about the administration. They complain about the coach. They complain. They, they just gather together. It happens in churches that, that people will gather together and, and they don't do it on purpose. They say, oh, we're going to the beach. We're going to do a party. We're going to have dinner together. But those people, when they get together, they will become complainers and they complain about our church or our pastor or, or, or whatever. And, 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 and these like spirits attract. Complainers attract other complainers. Can I just say this? You have been designed for something more eternal than to nitpick and tear down people who are oftentimes good people. That, that, God, has a, that God has a design, that God has something for you so much more eternal than, than to, to look for the negative in the world that you live. Listen, there is enough negative... But to focus your entire being, your entire day, your entire job, your entire church life experience, your entire family to to complain. And there's some of us, we just complain, we whine, we gripe about our husbands, about our neighborhood, about our home, about our car, about our kids, about our grandkids, about whatever. We'll just complain. We'll find something to complain of. You as a son or daughter of the most high God has been called, according to Paul here, to something better than being a person who just complains. And the amens are deafening. Understand that complaining just leads to more complaining, and complaining leads to more complainers in your life. So there's a practical side, but there's also a spiritual side, a very spiritual reason why you shouldn't complain. And the way that Paul lives his life and the words that he speaks 
teaches us that, that Paul's attitude was completely different. Uh, two points from Paul here. Paul's life would say this. Paul's life would say that if there's anything in your life that is negative, negative circumstances, something unpleasant, if you can change the negativity in your life around you, if you can do something about it, Paul would say this, then do something about it. Rather than complaining, do something about it. We see this in the Old Testament. The Old Testament, there's a story of a gentleman by the name of Nehemiah. Nehemiah goes back to the, to the nation of, uh, uh, Jeru- he goes to the city of Jerusalem. And, and, and there he sees that the walls of the city have been torn down. They've been, they're in disarray. They haven't been taken care of at all. And he does not complain. He's really upset about it. It bothers him. He's concerned for the safety of his city, but he doesn't complain about it. Catch this too. He doesn't pray that someone will come and fix the problem. Isn't that what we do sometimes? We go, well, I'll pray about it. I'll pray that God will put a burden on someone's heart to come fix that, to come enjoy. He doesn't pray about it either. He doesn't complain. He doesn't pray about it. He doesn't pick up shop and go, well, if we're not going to have walls here. I'll go find a city that has walls. He goes, no, no. He does something about it. He becomes a part of the solution. Listen, you can complain about your life all you want, or you can do something to advance it, to fix it, to make it better. The option is up to you. But complaining rarely, if ever, advances the ball, does it? It just doesn't. If something bothers you, if something's rubbing you the wrong way, if there's something you don't like, especially if it's something spiritual, if you have a, a sense of a, a holy disconnect or discontent or, or there's this godly dissatisfaction or discomfort, I would challenge you in the name of Jesus to do something about it. Be a part of the solution. Well, I did do something about it. I complained to somebody. Like, no, Karen, that's not the answer. (laughs) Right? No, be the answer to your own prayer. Roll up your sleeves, get involved, volunteer your time, go the extra mile, write the check, fill the gap with God's help. Take the negative situation, circumstance around you and go, you know what? I'm going to be a part of this. I'm going to help fix this. That's what Paul would say. It's what his life was all about. So the first thing here, if there's something that you can do about the negative situation, circumstance around you, do something. Number two, Paul would teach us, his life would teach us this. If you can't change your circumstance, then change your perspective. If you can't change your circumstance, then you have to change your perspective. If there's, if there's, if there's something you can do about it, then, then, then do it. But if you can, change what you say about it. Change the way you think about it. Change the way you see it. Uh, uh, listen to how Paul speaks. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, Paul says these words. He says, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice I'm glad and I rejoice, and you guys should be glad and rejoice with me. Now, you may hear that uh, passage of Scripture. Even if I'm poured out like a drink offering, you go, I have no, what in the world does that mean? Let me tell you. So in the Old Testament, oftentimes what would happen is a priest would, would make a burnt offering for God. 
We don't understand exactly how this works for, in our culture, in our mentality, but, but there's a reason why God would have it. But this, is, this was logistically how it would happen. Uh, the priest would go and he would take a, a, a small animal, usually like a lamb. He would build a, an altar. He would take a lamb and he would, he would offer that lamb as a burnt offering, a sacrifice to God. But then oftentimes what would take place, he would take a very expensive liquid, like a wine or honey. Honey was very expensive back then. And he would pour that liquid as an offering unto the Lord. And that, that liquid would flow and you'd have this hot uh, uh, burning sacrifice on here. And when that liquid would hit it, oftentimes what would take place is smoke would occur. And now all of a sudden smoke would start to rise up to the heavens and it was seen as a incense uh, offering, an incense offering up to the Lord. And Paul says this, Paul says, even if my life even if my circumstance, even if my situation, my struggle is just a incense offering up to the Lord, he goes, I would be fine with that. If, if some, think of the maturity in that. He says, even if my life was just a burnt offering, incense smoke offering unto the Lord, my suffering, my, my difficulty Paul is writing this while he's in prison. Been in prison for two years. And, the, and, and these are not American prisons. Uh, these are rough, rotten, horrible food, horrible ground, horrible bed, horrible situation. And, and what would happen in a Roman prison like this is, is um, they would take a guard and they would chain a guard to Paul for eight hours a day over and over again. So one Roman guard would have an eight-hour shift with Paul. And he would sit there with this big, smelly guy. And Paul says, if this act somehow pleases God, then I'm good with it. But later he's going to say, that's not how God works. But he said, even if he did, even if my life was somehow a burnt offering, even if my daily situation, he said, I would rejoice in that. And you should rejoice in that too. Now later, he'll say these words. So he'll say that we're to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. He says, what? Well, this is our spiritual act of worship. See, we think of worship coming, raising our hands to a holy God, and that's certainly part of it. But Paul says, no, no, so much more than that. He says, your true act of worship is how you live your life every single day unto him. You tracking with me? Wherever you go, whatever you do, even if you're chained up in a Roman prison, that is your act of worship. This is a maturity level. How is Paul able to do that? How is he able to have that kind of perspective? I'll tell you this. Paul made a decision that someplace in his life, it's a decision that every mature believer in Christ has to make. Paul made a decision that he was not the center of his life, but that Christ was. See, mo most of us, uh, we think that this world is all about us. This is a movie about me. You guys are just extras in my movie. Right? Isn't that how we think? This is why when my wife says, where were you? And I'm like, where are you? And she goes, well, you inconvenienced me. And I go, well, you inconvenienced me. And she goes, well, I was waiting all day. And I no, you weren't because we weren't here all day. And, you know, like, 
He's going, my world, my world, my feelings, my feelings. You're like. Jesus was the center of Paul's world. And because Jesus was the center of his story, he was able to take the negative circumstances and change the perspective to see how God might work through that. So listen to Paul's words. Paul says this. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what is happening to me is actually serving to advance the gospel. He's not complaining here at all. He's changed his perspective. He's seeing God's goodness. He sees the message of Jesus is moving ahead. It's not the way he wanted to do it. He said, I wanted to go talk to the king. I want to talk to Caesar. I wanted to go to the top. I, I, want, I thought if I could have that area of influence that I would be able to change the world for the God. This is not the way I saw this thing playing out. But he said, oh, no, 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 but, but don't be confused here. The gospel is still advancing. He says, not only do I see it, he says, but every single person in there. He says, as a result, it's become clear between the whole, the entire palace guard and everybody else knows that the reason I'm here, I'm in chains for Christ. What is he saying? He said, guys, you're missing the point. You think I'm the prisoner? Nope. He says, can I tell you who the prisoner is? Every single day, every minute of my day, the Roman governor sends me a young future influencer, Roman soldier who is chained to me. I'm not the prisoner. That joker is. And every eight hours, God strategically places someone in my life and I prepare a gospel message for him, and he can't go anywhere. And the second that he gets tired of hearing me going, yap, bop, 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 about Jesus and God's plan, and what, he goes, the second that he gets tired, you know what? He goes, the Roman governor sends me another one. And that guy leaves, and I go, good morning, sir. Let's start. And he goes over and over and over again. The government is sending to me fresh meat. And I have the opportunity to just preach the gospel to him. Three times a day, they just send me another guy. And I preach my guts out. And then when he's done, another one. And when he's done, another one. And when he's done, another one. And I've been doing this for two years. I know these guys. They know me. And the whole place knows that I'm here to present the gospel. They all know it. They all see it. How did he do that? He changed. He couldn't change his circumstance, but he changed his perspective. He had a ton of things that he could complain about, but he didn't. Why? Because he says, I know my God. And I know that God works all things to, to, for good according to his purpose, according to those who love him and are called by his power and his purpose. I know that God is going to work in this. Let me ask you this question. What are you chained to? 
What's the situation that you find yourself so tempted or, or maybe oftentimes you give into where you go, I just complain, I gripe, I complain, I get miserable, and I just, uh, what is that area? Maybe, maybe it's a struggling relationship or it's a job situation or it's a financial problem or it's a health issue and you find yourself just over and over again going, I'm justified in complaining. I complain to anyone who wants to hear, I complain to God. What is it in your life that you're chained to What are you supposed to do about it? Again, if you can fix it, fix it. Do you have to bring your A game? If you have to work hard, if you have to get some counseling, get some wisdom, turn over a new leaf. If you can fix it, then fix it. Don't just pray. Be an answer to your prayer. But but here's the thing. If that situation is something you cannot fix, then ask God to help you change your perspective. Change the way you look at it. Change the way you think about it. Change the words you speak about it. Rather than complaining about something you can't change, choose to see God's perspective, God's power, even in the middle of something you never asked for. Listen, I've been a pastor for 30 years, and I've seen people who, through the power of God, have used horrible situations for good. I've seen people with cancer and leukemia and life-ending sicknesses, and they said, you know what? Everywhere that I go, I'm going to be a light in a dark place. God is introducing me to some of the smartest minds, some of the most talented doctors, some of the sweetest nurses, some, some of the most kindest people. And everywhere I go, I'm going, I'm going to use that situation to tell them about the Lord. And they're miserable. And they're, I mean, their, their bodies are miserable. They're, they're physically sick. They're, and, and they go, but, but I ask God every time I go into that place, let me be a light in a dark world. that's, That's the epitome of what Paul is talking about. You can't change your circumstance. You go, God, change my perspective. Those individuals decide to adopt Paul's phrase. Paul's phrase is what? Even if. Even if I'm in the middle of something I never asked for, I can still see a glimpse of the goodness of God here. Uh, friends, where you're at today, even in the midst of whatever you're chained to, whatever part that you go, this is just so disappointing. You can still see the goodness of God. You can still see that God is inside. You can still see he's working. You can still see him using you. He, he can, you can still see him doing stuff that, that even if it's a situation that you never wanted to be in, you go, I could still see God doing something great here if you allow him to. Listen, you can do this. How? By recognizing you're not the center of the story. When Jesus is the center of your story, it changes how you let your story be told. You go, it's not about me anymore. It's about what God wants to do in this situation. I want my life to be like David's words in the Old Testament. David had a lot to complain about. But he says this, he says, let all that I am, let everything that happens to me, let everything in me give praise to God. My prayer for you is that you would never forget the goodness of God in your life. That in the midst of whatever's happened, in the midst of whatever you're chained to, you'll see goodness in your life right now. This is what I tried to explain to my wife last night. I said, 
you're upset, but you're missing all of this. She's like, I don't even want to look at your face right now. I'm like, look at the good in your life. You, this is all yours. She goes, you're making me more depressed. I said, no, you're not seeing it the way I'm seeing it. In the middle of your situation, you say, God, what are you, what are you trying to do here? What are you trying to show me? What should I see? Who should I see? Who, who, who are the people that I'm supposed to impact during this moment? Listen, rather than going to your job tomorrow and complaining about your job, be miserable about your life, say, God, help me see the good in this. You walk out of the parking lot today, you go, I hate that car. Say, God, give me, give me a good perspective. And then maybe you go, you know what? Thank God at least I have a car. Thank God at least I have a house. Thank God at least I have a job. Maybe you go into that place and you have a different perspective. Now you go, God, who are the people? And rather than complaining with these people every day, being miserable with you, complaining about customers, complaining about whatever, maybe I'm supposed to be the positive one in this. Maybe I'm supposed to be the light. Listen, let's be honest. There are some of you here today that you go, you know what? There was a time where I was joyful. There was a time that I was happy. There, there was a time that I was fun to be around. And now so things have happened. And now I'm just miserable. And I'm disappointed in myself. How must God feel? And we go, we are children the Most High God paid for the cross of Calvary by a loving, compassionate God. We have an awful lot to be thankful for. What does God do? David says this, he forgives all my sins. He heals my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. And for this and so much more, David says, I will praise the Lord My prayer for you today is that we don't take our eyes off the goodness of God. We stop looking at ourselves. How does this impact me? And we go, God, what are you trying to do in this situation? Our words. None of us want to be that guy, right? That person you go, oh, every time you're with them, that guy just complains, complains, he's miserable. You know those kind of people, they just suck the joy. You just show up and they're just going to, they're Debbie Downers, they're just going to suck the joy. As believers in Christ, we have to be the exact opposite of that. We need to be joy carriers. When people see us, they go, I don't know, there's something about that guy. A lot of bad things are happening in his house, but he always has a smile. He always has a good perspective. I, I leave there and I feel encouraged. Heavenly Father, Our prayer is this, that you would restore unto us the joy of our salvation. That your goodness would flow out of us. And for those of us who've gotten tripped up of seeing the bad, seeing the bad, help us, Lord God, to see your good and everything around us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you, church. Thanks for letting me have fun with you this morning. I'll talk to you later.